This is the Hidden Messages podcast, and this week I wanted to talk a little bit about authentic food and inauthentic food. I think there is this sort of general belief or idea, simplistic idea out there that's been out there for decades, maybe centuries, maybe eons, who knows, that each culture has like an authentic food. I think it's mainly... I think it's mainly decades, but it could be centuries. You know, the idea that like there's sort of, and, and I'm speaking specifically for an American context, but I think this happens in other countries as well, maybe to a lesser degree. But at least in the U.S., there is this kind of idea that like if you go out for, I don't know, Thai food, Mexican food, whatever it is, that there's sort of an authentic food that you can get or there's an inauthentic food you can get. And that authentic means... This is what the people in that country actually eat and how they eat it. And then inauthentic is this is how they've modified the food to cater to American tastes. Recently, there's been sort of a pendulum swing on that. I think in more progressive circles, but maybe even in less progressive circles. But I, I, I've been hearing a lot more in podcasts, seeing a lot more in blog posts, just people talking about it in general, this sense that there's no such thing as authentic. That authentic, when referring to food, is essentially meaningless. And I get where they're coming from. I think there is a valid point there that this weird obsession with authenticity has a very narrow and almost kind of artificial, ironically, you know, um, boxing in of various cuisines from different countries to be like a specific thing that may not even exist. I think the other objection that people have brought up into the idea of authenticity is that authenticity, the way that it's misused often, I think, kind of makes it sound as if a cuisine is only one way and can be only that way forever. That in other words, there's this sort of imaginary cuisine that existed a thousand years ago in China or even, you know, Germany or in Zimbabwe or whatever it is. And that these recipes have been unchanged and passed down for generations. And then, you know, you often see in like food reviews, you know, on food shows and YouTube videos, whatever it is, this idea that some recipe is amazing and it came from somebody's mother and grandmother or great-grandmother and was passed down through the generations or, you know, father or grandfather, whatever it is, that somehow this unmodified, pure, authentic recipe and preparation is just passed down and that you're experiencing that authentic, original recipe, that authentic, original food. So that criticism of the idea of authenticity, I think is valid. But I want to push back a little bit on the idea that authenticity does not exist. Because I feel like we're going from a very simplistic idea of food is either authentic or inauthentic to another contrary simplistic idea, which is that food, there's no such thing as authenticity, that, that all food is just food, which you could make the case, but it's just culturally and sociologically not true. So we all know, for example, that fortune cookies were something that Chinese immigrants invented in America because they thought it would cater to like white people in America. And we know for a fact that it's not unique to Chinese in America, that 
many cultures will come to America as immigrants. They will have food that they sell in restaurants and that oftentimes they will have to cater to white Americans and modify recipes and modify dishes to cater to white customers in America. And so when you have to modify that, then there is sort of this change from what you actually brought from that country to what you are now presenting here. And maybe authentic is not the correct word. Maybe you don't feel comfortable using that, but there's definitely something, there is a sociological problem that actually exists where people have to modify what they would ordinarily eat and serve in order to stay in business and to cater to people outside of their culture. So a couple examples that I've seen of this were growing up, we had family friends who had a restaurant and, you know, my parents are immigrants from Hong Kong. These people are also immigrants from Hong Kong. And they used to joke with my parents, like, don't come to our restaurant because their restaurant was in like a predominantly white suburb and they had to cater to those tastes. And they're like, our food is not good for Chinese people. And they're kind of joking around, like, but they also kind of weren't joking around. And I've definitely also been to restaurants in like predominantly Chinese areas, like in a Chinatown kind of area where my parents or my aunt or whoever will like ask for like the secret Chinese menu. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, there'll be like a regular English menu they hand to people who aren't Chinese or people like me who look Chinese, but basically like just speak English and grew up here and really don't have any concept of of Chinese food. And then there's like a secret menu. And I don't know that every restaurant has a secret menu, but there are definitely places that have them. And, you know, my parents have asked for it and they get it and it's fully in Chinese and it's like dishes that they think that American, white Americans will not want to eat. And so is that authentic Chinese food? Is the regular English menu inauthentic? I don't know. I mean, I feel like there, why are there two menus then if there's no such thing as authenticity, right? Now, my concern, of course, is that if you are a white American and you're hearing this, you're like, ooh, I want to try the secret menu. I want the authentic experience. And I think that's where the this pushback against the idea of authenticity comes from, is that like, why do you want that? Why is that important to you, right? And I think there is this sort of fetishization of authenticity that is really the problem and not the idea of authenticity existing that's the problem. I see this a lot from white Americans and I think it can often come from a good place. I think that there is this sort of identity crisis that a lot of white Americans have, particularly when it comes around food, especially if they are not immediately from an immigrant culture that has a well-known cuisine, right? So like if you're a white American and you're like, you know, my mother came from Portugal or, you know, my father came from Italy or whatever, like you may already identify with a specific cuisine background that your parents brought you up in. But I think particularly for some white Americans that have been in this country for a really long time or that have Anglo ancestry or whatever it is, or mi mixed ancestry that they don't know about, but they just kind of identify as sort of like a generic white. Sometimes there can be this sort of identity crisis. Like there are certain cuisines in America that we identify as American, right? Like a hamburger and a hot dog. But those aren't the cuisines that people get impressed by. That's more like comfort food. And I think sometimes there are certain white Americans who feel that loss of identity where they want to feel like they're embracing an open-mindedness to say like, 
I'm going to eat all the cuisines. I'm going to sample all this stuff. And I don't want to bag on open-mindedness. Like if you want to be open-minded, I think that's actually great. But I, I think sometimes it becomes this sort of like white guilt thing where it's not just open-mindedness, but they specifically like are almost kind of like daring themselves. Like it's it's sort of like, you know, sometimes you see people, they're like, they'll like eat spicy food. And this this part is actually not I think unique to white Americans at all, but like, like sometimes you see people eat things where like, can I finish this huge portion? Can I eat this super spicy thing and, and tolerate it, right? And it's not because they enjoy, I mean, sometimes people do enjoy spicy food, but sometimes they'll eat like a ghost pepper to see like, can I bear the pain? And I think sometimes there are some white Americans who like they are open-minded, but then sometimes they just want to eat a cuisine because they want to say they can eat it. And they just want to not appear closed-minded and feel like, oh, well, I can eat this authentic cuisine, like not the white cuisine, not, not, not like the Americanized version, but like the, the authentic original version. And so there is this sort of quest. And I think part of it is open-mindedness, but I also think there's like a tinge of imperialism, right? Like there's this tinge of like, I can do all the cuisines. There is nowhere that I am barred from. I own this whole planet, right? And like, Nobody will say that explicitly. Well, I hope not. But, you know, there is kind of a tinge of imperialism, right? This idea that you can sample anything and not just sample anything, but like it's never catered for you. You can always go anywhere and get the authentic original, right? And I mean, I don't know. Like if, if you feel like I'm attacking you, like just look at your own motives, right? Like as I said before, sometimes it can come from a place of open-mindedness, but I think sometimes it can come from a place of imperialism and wanting to sort of conquer everything. I don't know. I, I think that there's some nuance in all of this, right? There's nuance in why do you want to try all these different cuisines? Why do you want it to be authentic? And I think there also is nuance in does authenticity exist and what does it mean? And it doesn't, it's not just there is a thing called authentic and there's not just the thing like authentic doesn't exist. I think authentic is kind of, it does exist, but in complicated ways and it's dynamic. I think an appropriate analogy to this is kind of, language itself, right? So when you think about culture, there are customs and traditions, there's food, obviously, which is probably the, the most common thing that people associate with the word authentic. But there's language too. Language is also part of culture. And nobody would say there's no such thing as language, right? Or nobody would say there's no such thing as like a native accent for a language, right? Or multiple native accents in, in some cases, right? But also language is not static. I mean, I think maybe with the exception of Iceland, from what I've read, it sounds as if the Icelandic language has not changed significantly since like centuries or, or even since maybe over like a thousand years or something. But most languages evolve and change. And that doesn't mean they're inauthentic because the French that's, well, actually French is also another kind of special case because they actually like have, an academy that monitors changes in the language. But most languages just grow organically, right? Like, I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Like with English, it used to be that unique meant one of a kind. So you couldn't say more unique or less unique or very unique. It just either was unique or it wasn't unique. But people kept misusing unique to mean special, like a, sort of a, a very amplified form of special. And so they just wanted to say, a very, very amplified version of something that's already amplified. And so they started tacking on all these adjectives. It's very unique. It's extremely unique. And now that's just fine. And and you'll know this happens all the time in the dictionary that, you know, Merriam-Webster, 
I don't know, dictionary.com or whoever the, the people are, OED, that, you know, something that wasn't an approved use before now becomes an approved use. Like disinterested used to mean unbiased. It still means unbiased, but people keep using disinterested to mean uninterested. And so now that's like one of the approved definitions of the word because that's how people use the language. Now, does it mean that if you use disinterested to mean uninterested that you're being inauthentic to the English language? No, the English language is changing, right? But it also doesn't mean that there never was an agreed upon thing. There never was like an agreed upon definition. And so just like with cuisines, they can change just because, you know, the way that you prepared pho or the way that you prepared like a fried rice or a burrito or whatever isn't like how your grandparents did it or how you know, it happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago, doesn't mean that's inauthentic because it changed. I think where authenticity could have some kind of meaning is basically like in situations like fortune cookies or chop suey or whatever it is, where you are deliberately changing something, not because it's organic, not because you just want to have a twist on a recipe or do something that you think tastes good, but you're specifically changing it to cater to other people's tastes outside your demographic. And not to say that isn't a valid cuisine in itself. I think once you start changing it and it then becomes a different type of cuisine and that may have merits on its own, I don't think labeling that inauthentic does anything super useful, but I also think pretending that it's just a natural growth or a natural mutation also is not correct. You know, I think, I don't know, it's just complicated. I, I, I don't, I don't know that I have a thesis statement. I don't know that there's like a definite clear thing that I'm trying to argue. I just really bristle a little bit at when people take one extreme and then just go to the next extreme, which happens a lot, right? But like if you go from the extreme of like, there is authentic food and you must get this authentic food and then just go to, there's no such thing as authentic food. I'm like, mm, there's stuff to push back on there. The idea of authenticity is problematic. I don't think people use it in good ways all the time, but just going straight from that to like, there's no such thing as authentic. I don't really buy that that's the direction we want to go. So I don't know. What do you think?